AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's February 23rd, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Very interesting uh, opening item today. And lately, you've been putting stuff on the file that has really been making me take a deeper look at myself. Wow, that's uh, pretty pretty hard to do because you're pretty shallow. I know that's what I'm saying. It's I'm I'm finding <laughs> out there's other layers under there that I didn't know existed. <laughs> but it's, sometimes it's like Chris the player versus Chris the businessman that is yep. kind of being torn apart you know or or at least looked at and this first item is is pretty interesting why don't you uh why don't you talk a little bit about it first and then we'll get into it uh but i but i think your your point is, is right that this this is always the challenge with these so uh world series uh bracelet winner eric rodewig rodewig that's good enough all right has written an op-ed on PokerNews.com saying he believes a two-player deal for a recent world poker tour title should not be allowed and is not good for the game Players agreed to an even money chop, which he didn't have a problem with. But uh, one, one player get, got the title, which resulted in, in and one of the players losing the title. The, the player losing the title, they had to raise fold until he was eliminated. Um, so, yeah, so the issue is here. I mean, again, he was very clear. Uh, money chops happen all the time, and he has no problem with that. Although, if you really wanted to pick apart his argument, you might have a problem with that as well, too. But. Right. His bigger problem was is that you know th- this is a televised event. There are spectators there, and now they are not being treated to poker. They're being treated to what essentially is collusion, I guess you could say. I mean, it's not collusion affecting any other players. So I hate to use that word strongly there, but essentially, people came to watch a poker tournament come out, and all they're seeing is a guy raise, and then somebody else re-raise, and he folds until it's over. Yeah, and he says that's not good for the game. I would agree with him on that, but uh, as I, as you alluded to, there are layers to this onion, I think, right? Yeah, and you know, um, th- you you really pretty much hit it on the head with the, you can't agree with making deals, but then disagree with a deal. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to say, hey, let's not take a chance and lose money on a bad beat, so let's split the money, but, you know... You can't. You have to play for the title, though. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. Either you are agreeing with deals, and whatever deal is made, it's a deal, and you agree with deals. Or you're saying, you know, to me, it doesn't seem there's like I don't think there's any sort of middle of the road here. I mean, if they decide, because I mean, how many times have you heard? 
people going into the restroom and talking about the deal and then coming out and then executing it without anyone knowing or something where they, right. you know what I mean? If, if that, if that's happening and the public isn't aware of it, you know, at least then it's like, okay, so the guy makes a raise, the other guy three bets him and then he folds, you know, you think he's just trying to be overly aggressive and change the way he's been playing or something. And you're not really sure what's going on. And then he loses the title and you're like, I none the wiser. But when these guys are saying, Hey, it's obvious what they're doing here, and you have a problem with that, but you don't have a problem with them chopping the money. See, to me, when I first when we first got into this, you know, chopping wasn't as prevalent as it is now, which sounds right. funny. It sounds like we've been around a long time, you know, because <laughs> which we haven't. But you know, now I can't tell you how many times as the editor of the magazine that I'll get write ups from our reporters that say it feel chopped at fifteen. You know, yeah. at 18 players, they all took the same amount. And it's like, why are you playing then? You know, to make $30 over your buy? You know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of weird. And I don't necessarily disagree with it if grown people are wanting to do whatever they want to do. But you don't see, like, the Olympics are on. You don't see the two downhill guys say, hey, why risk breaking a leg or missing a flag? Let's just chop the medals. You know, I mean, you can't. So maybe it's on the, the tours themselves to say, if you enter this event, you know, and we decide that you guys are colluding and you're making deals or whatever, you know, we'll throw you out of the tournament or something. I, I don't know if they could do that either when there's only two of them left. Yeah, I, I think that know. was part of his point. He actually used uh, the Super Bowl as a reference in this, right? That, you know, Tom Brady uh, pulling Nick Foles aside in the fourth quarter and saying, hey, I really want my sixth ring. Uh, and Nick Foles agreeing and then going out and throwing a bunch of interceptions. Right. <laughs> With all the people watching, be appreciative of that's how the game ends. So I think that's ultimately his point. He's, he's thinking about the uh, the spectator level, and, and again, because it's a televised event. Um, and to his point, I think that is right. You, you, you get let down when there's a deal made and the thing ends. But as a player, I think we understand how this happens. Um and I think we're in an interesting spot with this because, you know, we've had a lot of deals with Andy up poker tour events. And, you know, we, we leave uh, the running of the event up to our properties, which makes us different than other tours. So we, we don't exercise any control over how, what the schedule is or how they handle it or any of that. We're just there to cover it and market it for them. Um, the only thing that we we do insist of our tour partners is that we're only going to put one winner on the cover of the magazine. Right. Oh, they they can decide however that is that happens, but, but but so to some degree we are enforcing some control over this by saying we don't want twelve people on the cover of our magazine as champions. Right? We want one champion. Now the reality of the situation is I've seen deals where people have uh, chopped money evenly, and then they decided, hey, you get the title, you get the seat in the world championship, you get uh, the jacket or whatever, the bracelet, I mean, the whatever it else is, the trophy. Um, and everybody's happy with it, but it is, I think, somewhat deflating uh, or putting a winner on the cover of the magazine that didn't actually win, right? Yeah. Um, so we could be harder on that and say, hey, tell our tour partners, hey, no deals whatsoever. But that gets into kind of the business thing, right? So uh, every poker room is a little different. Some I know some managers I talk to, they, they really believe in it playing out. Others are quite happy. If the, the sooner the tournament ends, that's <laughs> quicker they can turn the lights off and send the dealers home and all that, and then it's a financial thing. But 
Um, so I think what happens more often, and maybe this is the compromise, we're looking for a compromise here, and I think it was actually mentioned in this article, is that once you get to that point where you make that money deal, you have to leave something on top to play for. Um, because very few poker rooms are going to let you sit there and play for another three hours just for a title. Uh, most of them will tell you, hey, if you're going to make a deal, we're done. Um, but I've seen this a lot where they, they put like 10000 bucks left. You know, they, they chop up all the prize pool, put 10000 bucks, and then they play it out for the winner to get the cover and that 10000 bucks. Right. Or, um, I, so, but, but I don't know if that really solves what Eric's problem is because I'll tell you what happens when those deals happen. As somebody covering the event and tired and wanting to go to bed, <laughs> I like those deals because what happens is at that point now players loosen up a lot. You know, you just you just locked in sixty thousand dollars prize money, right? Yeah. And now you got nine of you playing for an extra ten thousand and a cover of magazine. And half those players, not that they are want to give up ten thousand bucks, but they're not going to sit there and play their A game now for the next. So, you know, players get knocked out much more quickly. And then you end up with like the, le- the last two or three that are really serious about it playing for a little bit. So uh, it still alters the game. So there's no way around that, I think, unless you just force people not to take any deals whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, it, like I said, it's it's such a torn thing. Like I remember, I think I, I was one of the events that I cashed. It was at I think it was at Lucky's or something, and there was like ten people left. And I was like, if we we all cash now, we all get like eleven hundred or something. It was something crazy. I'm like, well, let's just wrap up eleven hundred. It was like twelve thirty at night. I was exhausted, and somebody didn't want to do it. So as a player, sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm I'm willing to chop because I just want to go to bed, you know. And I understand, hey, I shouldn't have got into the tournament if I if I knew there was a possibility it's going to be playing past two a.m. or something. But you know, if there's nine people who want to go to bed and one doesn't. You know, whatever. That's a deal that I'm willing to make to make everybody happy. But you're right, and we, and we do see that in a magazine too, where people are, they are leaving money on top to play, or they just play for the trophy because the trophy's valuable, or to them the title. But at least play for something. It's weird to just if you're gonna give up the title, then just chop the title. You know, if it's on TV, then it's like, oh, I don't know. Then I don't know how you do that, though, you know, without this raise and fold. Well, yeah, I mean, some of these other ones might be like us where, you know, I don't care how you figure it out, but <laughs> yeah. one is going to be on, one of you is going to be the champion, so. Yeah. Um, which which makes those discussions either more complicated or easier, you know, because some people put different values. I mean, again, I'm trying to remember the, I remember the one at Pearl River. I'm like, it was an easy deal. I mean, one guy wanted to go to California and play in the World Championship. The other guy... Never thought he'd be on the cover of magazine, so that was more important to him. And then I forget what the other the other guy got out of it, but um, and that was an easy deal. There wasn't any even back and forth. There was like, who who wants this? One guy raises his hand. Who wants this? One guy raises his hand. Who wants this? The other guy raises his hand. All right, good, we're done. Um, now we didn't have cameras there or spectators, so you know, no harm, no foul at that point. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we were televising it or something, and depending on good quality poker to attract sponsors, I, I think as a tour operator, I would be more forceful about that. But yeah. but again, we're different in what we do than these other folks. So Yeah, uh, that ruse, that ruse of the WPT thing, that that's just, it's kind of a slap in the face to the people tuning in and to the networks that are trying to cover it. You know, hey, you're supposed to put on a good product here. And clearly, we're not showing entertaining poker. We're showing basically colluding for one person to win. So it's, yeah. It's it's a tightrope. I, I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I prefer the thing on top, though, like you said. I prefer the stuff on top. That way right. they play for something. Something to play for. I, I do think it's interesting, though. In, in poker, I think we all agree, poker is kind of a game of egos, right? Mm. Uh, not everybody who plays poker has an ego, but it brings out the ego in people, right? Right. Um, it's so interesting to me that in a game that egos are such a big part of it that there are so many people that want to remain anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> It's just it's an interesting thing to think about, right? So, I mean, we've had people that they didn't want the title because they didn't want to be on the cover. We actually had the winner of uh, the World Championship one year. Just it wasn't even a deal. He just won, and nope, don't want, don't want anybody to know me. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, it, it, you know, I, I I didn't get into the details on this this follows you WPT thing. Obviously, one player wanted the title more than the other one because they didn't do any kind of deal where one got more than the other. Just one guy said, "Nope, I don't need it. You want it? Great." Yeah. Um. That's just fascinating to me because I just I have a, I have trouble wrapping my head around the anonymity factor in poker. Well, it's been long enough since I told this story once before on the show, so I can probably tell it again. But it also gets back to the guy at the Sarasota poker room when I'm taking pictures, and he's like, yeah, don't take my picture. I want my wife to know I'm here. And I'm like, isn't that her sitting behind you? And he's like, no, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? So you don't want somebody put, getting their photo in the magazine because they don't want people to know they're so they certainly don't want to be on the cover. They just want the money you know, or the pleasure of playing. So there is that aspect, too. Um Right, but I would argue in that point. I mean, already that's a bit ridiculous if you're ending a contest. I mean, a tournament sponsored by a magazine where the winner gets on the cover. Yeah. It's even more ridiculous if you're ending a World Poker Tour event where you, <laughs> you never get you that can't, TV. Can't make the final six and then tell the camera guys, "Don't put me on TV." <laughs> you know? Put the big blurry dot over my face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I have even less empathy for players in that situation in the WPT or a Heartland or Mid States event than that than I do even in our events. But um, did you, so have, to, did you have to write that down in the notes to remind yourself to have empathy for those? <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I had to say that. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> We're going to get political next week, so we might as well warm the audience up for that. <laughs> all right, how about we move on now? Okay. Uh, all right, several recent news articles have suggested what we have said all along. Uh, the new trend of poker clubs in Texas is as strong as a house of cards. Many clubs that have opened trying to operate by charging admission or seat fees instead of taking a rake have since closed under threats from law enforcement. Those that remain open appear to be doing so at the risk of local officials remaining in their jobs. And yes, I put a little snark in that. I try not to put snark in all the time, but um, I, not not at all surprised by this. I'm really not at all surprised by this. And the, um, you know, we said this the first time we talked about Texas poker clubs yep. on the show. We're like, do you see what's going on in Portland, Oregon? <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Uh, and it's so interesting to me when people call me up and they're like, hey, I'm getting ready to open a. a, a card room in texas i'm like really how are you gonna do that well you know we're not gonna charge uh we're not gonna rake we're gonna charge uh door fee and seat fees and i'm like you know just like all those rooms in portland that got shut down no no it's different here my like, how's it different here well it, it, it's different i'm like okay and then here we are it's not different <laughs> it's not different you know if you if you try to get around uh the rules you, you'll you'll be lucky if there's people that don't care about the rules where you are and that's kind of the case what we said, mentioned here but you don't know whether people are going to care about the rules and are going to have a different interpretation. And 
Um, that, that's what happened. That's why a lot of these closed because law enforcement's like, you know, we, we don't think this is legal, even though you get this, you, you, you're reading the, the law differently than they are. And then so now your choice is to, you know, go to jail and fight it in the courts, uh, or just shut and go about your own way. But I, I think the most interesting part of this was at the end, which I kind of referenced there too, is that the ones that are open right now where they live in are operating in jurisdictions where the law enforcement or prosecutors or whoever else have decided either that it's not worth their time to crack down on it or have said, we agree with your interpretation. That only lasts until those people have those jobs. <laughs> you know, Once they retire, move on. New people come in, and then they may say, "Whoa, hold on! Right. That last person was wrong. You can't be operating these. I'm shutting you down." So, it's <clears throat> uh, you know, as business owners, I prefer to run a business that I'm not worried about. Right. <laughs> um, other people like to have that little gamble in them. So, uh, I think that's kind of the case we see here. Silly audience, loopholes only work when buying guns. They don't work oh, in wow. Texas poker clubs. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're going to shut you down. Oh man! Um, but it's sad because every once in a while we'll put them in the magazine and hope that they're gonna take off and people are gonna. Because we we had a little sliver of optimism when we talked about it that first time. It was a well. Sliver. I think we're always. I mean, we're we're not the poker police here. So you know, when these people call me up, um, I was honest with them. I'm like, uh, I'm like, like I said, have you seen Portland, Oregon? And the hour different. I'm like, all right. All I'm saying is. Make sure your your lawyers look it over and are confident. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just think it's great. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm not judging. I'm just giving you some advice based on my ten years in this business. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, it's very different. And then you know, three months later, hey, yeah, we we had to shut down. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm not one to say I told you so, but mm, told you so. <laughs> You're not one to say, but then you say it. <laughs> um, and, and you know they mentioned some of these and these rooms look really nice I saw pictures of maybe four or five of these rooms and they spared no expense I mean some guys put 70,000 bucks into building a really nice poker room under uh, again as I said a legal standing that's no stronger than the house of cards and then the wind blew and the house of cards came down and now you're out that 70k so um, and if it was a true poker room you wouldn't make that 70k back in a minute because of rakes and that but it wasn't you, you're charging people 10, 20 bucks to get in or whatever it is for the seat fee and then hope you sell some food and drink at, at a very low margin. Um, it's it's tough. You know, I again, I know people want to be able to play poker. They think they should be able to play poker. And it's so much easier, I think, as hard as it is, it's so much easier to get the laws changed to allow you to do that than it is to try to, you know, work in this gray area. It's so bizarre, too, when you think about the most popular game in all of poker is named after the state where you can't play poker. Can't play it, yeah. it, it, it's just so bizarre. And you can understand, you know, how, you know, those those Texas road games with the shotguns on the roof and, you know, I mean, you can see how they're trying to get away from that and stuff, and so they're they're pretty strict on it. And, you know, it's a red state, and um, but it's, it, you know, you think eventually they'd be like, you know what, we're the largest state and then lower 48 you know, geez, you know, <laughs> people want to play a game where they play against each other, you know, uh, who's it hurting, you know, but. 
Well, I think it's interesting, too. You can look at the parallels between those uh, road games that you mentioned and these clubs, right? I mean, they both are, hey, if you want to play, go play, but you're <coughs> doing so at your own risk. And in a different way, I mean, the road games, you're you're at risk as a player. You know, you could get robbed at any time. Yeah. Uh, where the poker clubs are actually trying the opposite. They're trying to give you a safe, clean place to play and outside of home games, but the, the legal uh, peril is actually for the owner of it. So it's the same thing. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You show up one day and you play three straight weeks, three straight months, and everything's hunky-dory, and then bam. You know, next thing you know, law enforcement puts a season to and you're out. Yeah. Or during the home games, uh, you play great for four months, and all of a sudden some, comes, some guy comes in and says, yeah, I'm going to be taking all the money today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all the more reason that it should be legal regulated, which I always appreciate for lots of things. So, but uh, again, as I mentioned, that's difficult to do. It's it's the harder road to take. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for the uh, few remaining ones. We'll see what happens. Uh, any updates? Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, is hosting its next Any Up Poker Tour event, the Pearl River Spring Poker Classic, March fifteenth to twenty fifth. Featuring eight events highlighted by an $810 buy-in, 100K guaranteed main event. The winner will appear on the May cover of Antioch Magazine and get an entry into the 2018 Antioch World Championship main event. For more information, visit antiochmagazine.com slash pearlriver. Also, Viquiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix will host the Antioch Spring Poker Classic Antioch Poker Tour event March 22nd to the 24th. The winner of the $300 buy-in 50K guarantee main event will appear on the cover of the April issue of Antioch Magazine and get an entry into the 2018 Antioch World Championship main event. For more information, including satellite schedule and special hotel and room offers, visit antiochmagazine.com slash vquiva. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiochmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antioch Poker Cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. Uh, it's Jonathan Otenbacher. says, I usually play low-stakes cash games at a casino while watching football on Sundays. At least a few times a session, I'll get to the flop with multiple opponents and be first to act on a board that I have no chance of winning against multiple opponents. As first to act, I'd prefer to just fold my hands so I can focus on watching football rather than holding up the game and getting yelled at by the dealer and other players once action gets back around to me while I'm watching football after I checked and all the other players take their sweet time deciding what to do. However, if I do fold, the dealer admonishes me, saying I'm not allowed to fold, and doing so invalidates the bad beat jackpot. I can see a few arguments for prohibiting folding without a bet in front of me. Uh, it does give the last player to act one less opponent to possibly check raise, and it could make collusion easier although that seems less problematic in multi-way pots, and even heads up. I could simply muck my hand immediately after my opponent checks behind. Do those or other issues legitimately overwhelm my freedom to fold when action is on me? Yes. <laughs> in, in, in a word, yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I feel for, for Jonathan here. Uh, I understand his points, and in a very micro level, it does seem nitpicky, right? But um, poker rooms need to operate on the macro level here, and uh, these things are legitimate. Uh, the, and the, the bad beat jackpot is a perfect one um, of that, um, and giving players information that they shouldn't have, and and not being 
the other argument is you need to be as competitive as possible. And by folding when there's no bet to you, um, you're not being as competitive as possible. So, um, again, I was honest here too. I'm like, you know, if your defense is that you want to watch football, <laughs> that's a tough, tough argument to win with, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're in a poker room, you're playing poker, um, sure, other people at the table might be watching the game as well too, but most people you have to assume are there to play poker first and watch football second. So um, I, I absolutely understand the frustration. As I mentioned to him, I, I'm a very fast player. I like to make decisions quickly and, and keep the game going. And nothing infuriates me more than Hollywooders or people not paying attention or people taking forever to make a decision. You know, it's a four dollar raise, and they're like acting like you know it's their life savings on the line. When I just want to fold and go to the bathroom, <laughs> but that is the reality of of what we're playing. So those are the rules. Those are the ethics. That's the way it should be played. So um, you know, you have to find a way to to deal with it. Doesn't mean you have to like it, but uh, there is a reason for this. It's not willy nilly. It it actually has a reason. So um, you know, if you miss a play, yeah, sorry, but you know, you have the choice of watching the game at a sports bar <laughs> where you have nothing to interfere with you other than the waitress asking you whether you want another beer um, or at home where you have no distractions um, and you've chosen to go play poker as well too. So if you're making that choice, then do you have to also make the choice to deal with the other quote-unquote distractions of watching the game there? I hate the the guy that you, he's to your left and he's a smoker and he's looking at his cars pre-flopping and he doesn't want to play him. He says to you, hey, fold my cars when I guess you're going to go to <laughs> And he walks away. And I'm like, it's the same thing. It's not right because that's one less person they know they have to get through if they want to bluff or or whatever. It's just well, not plus, right. And we can't fold his cards for him. That's, that's yeah. Always, you're right. They always say it that way, too. And I'm like, you know, I <laughs> one player to a hand. I, I got my hand. I'm worried about that your hand. You fold your own hand. <laughs> Unbelievable, but yeah, I mean, really. Comes to us, I'm like, I elect to fold this player's hand. I have a proxy here. (laughs) Um, Sign an affidavit before he went to get a smoke. It says I have a lot of folded hand. I I agree. I I don't go to the poker room to watch football. So I mean, if you're there, you're playing low stakes. I understand. And if you're trying to fill the moments between plays, you know, I I just don't I don't see why I would go to the poker room to do that. I just stay home and watch the game. But if if I want to play poker and then there's a game on, okay, I'll watch the game when I'm not playing. But if my favorite team is on football, on TV, I mean, you know, I'm not going to the game, the poker room to watch them play. I'm I'm home. So I don't know. It's just it's kind of a – I mean, you, you could do what you want. It's a free country. It's just it's just weird to me that I would be so – and one of the lines he said in the, in the, in the, the letter to us was, I, I, I want to focus on watching football. And I thought that was interesting. It just sounds so important to Jonathan to watch this game. It's like, why be distracted by the poker? Just watch yeah. the game. You know, if it sounds like he's something, if he's making bets on it and he wants to focus, or if he's trying to, you know, follow his team and see what's going on carefully or whatever, then you know, just why are you playing poker at that moment? Wait, the game's only going to be a couple of hours. Then go play, you know, or whatever. So, um, but yeah, when when what you're doing is affecting other people and their enjoyment, who people who don't even care what's going on on the TV. You're not being fair to them. You're just not, and it's not really your freedom to fold when the action's on, not on you. I mean, or when it is on you. You know, what I mean, you you still the rule is if you check. You know, you don't fold out of turn. You don't fold when there's no bet to you. It's just the way it is. 
Um, uh, I will say the other interesting part of this, though, is that you know, there is an argument of ultimately our goal is to get more people in the poker room more often, right? Yeah. Um, and so this is a constant challenge I think poker room managers have with all kinds of rules is you want to be reflective of the attention span that people have now and being able to address that in a game like poker where ten- short attention spans aren't rewarded. <laughs> generally right yeah um versus uh making uh the experience what it should be uh, for those players that are there solely for that experience right so right. this was the challenge that people had when you know um cell phones took off and smartphones specifically where you could actually do something more than call <laughs> call a friend you guys play games there then people had headphones and that's why so many rooms struggle with those things because in a pure sense, you want people to be there to play poker and be respectful of it. But if you say, hey, um, no headphones, no cell phones at the table, uh, you know, you don't put TVs out so people can watch games, uh, you don't serve them drinks or food, then they don't want to come play. Right. So it's a constant balancing act. So I, I get it from that, that standpoint. Um, and there, there's never any easy answers, I think, with these things. I mean, uh, you kind of, kind of could reverse it too, and be like, "What if you were watching the game and uh, in between plays they flick flick the channel on to rerun a threes company?" And you're <laughs> like, "Wait, I want to watch the game." You're like, well, "Sorry, sorry, uh, I want to see you know Jack fumble over a, you know over a, a, a ledge and have somebody mishear something and misinterpret what's going on in the other room." So you know, when I'm done watching this. Then I'll put it back on your po- your thing, and it's like same kind of thing. People are there to play poker; they're not there for you to to stall or to fold out a turn and do something that's going to affect them. So that's one way to look at it: is that you, you know, if you, you always try to be in someone else's shoes and see how you'd feel. That's how I do it, and in this case, I think that you're probably hurting them more than you're helping yourself. So. Okay, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast.anyupmagazine.com and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from Mike Young. He says, in a casino tournament, the tables are being balanced and the floor comes to my table to move the big blind. The player is given his new seat assignment and racks his chips, but when he starts to stand, his knees give out and he can't walk to his new table. In the meantime, play has continued at the present table. What's the call? Elliot says the moving player ships should be moved to the new table and all antis and blinds should be posted. Special accommodation does, doesn't extend to every person in every situation, and I wouldn't allow this player to stay at their former seat, especially after the blind had passed. If every player that had a spontaneous injury were allowed to not move uh, and miss the blinds, tournament poker would become pretty unfair for most of the players. Random seating of the tournament entries and moving of the big blinds to the worst position made our game much more less subjective and much more fair. If this player wants to keep playing but not get checked out by the EMTs, then this player is in good enough shape to play by all the rules. Yeah, can you imagine all people fake an injury because they don't want to pay the big blind on the other table and then they stay at their own table and don't pay any big blind? Can't do it. Got to move the chips. It's like the diver back to school. Ooh, pull my hamstring. <laughs> That's right. the pressure. <laughs> that reminds me, the... the they're doing a sequel to uh, to Karate Kid. They're going to call it Cobra Kai. And Johnny yeah. comes back and, and is like, uh, again, the villain against Ralph Macchio or something. Or their he kids. was doing every movie back in the 80s. It was awesome. It's going to be a TV show. <laughs> for like 10 episodes on YouTube or something. So, 
Hey, we got a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're continuing on with the five cent, ten cent, no limit hold'em home game. We now sit with around twenty-seven dollars and have been playing pretty solid poker. We're in the cutoff, and the game is now seven-handed. The blinds post, the under-the-gun limps, the plus-one folds, and the MP makes it forty cents to go. The hijack folds, and we look down at the ace of hearts, ace of clubs. Can't ask for anything more than that. We bump it to one dollar. It's folded around to the MP, who thinks briefly before calling. It almost looked like she wanted to raise. She's a pretty solid player, but her weakness is she has a difficult time getting away from big hands when she's beat. Don't we all? She's been running bad lately, and has been gun-shy and a little discouraged, but not erratic. She also likes to lay traps with her big hands, and she may perhaps be doing this here. Our antennas are certainly a full staff. She sits with $18. There's about two twenty-five in the pot, and the flop comes down the jack of spades, ten of spades, six of hearts. She quickly leads out for one seventy-five. I'd like to see how serious she is about this hand, so we bump it quite a bit. We make it four fifty to go. She hesitates, again briefly, before calling. With eleven twenty-five in the pot, the turn is the seven of spades. She counts out a five-dollar bet and puts it into the pot. So, she's put ten fifty into this pot and has seven fifty left in her stack. What does the five-dollar bet mean? Is she trying to entice us in? Is she sending the signal that she's willing to stack off right here? What's the move? All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. comes from uh, Jeff Fletcher this time. And uh, I think he's a first-time submitter uh, because he says he enjoys the show, so he must be new to the show. <laughs> uh, he says uh, it's a two-three no limit in the hold'em game in a typically soft California card room. Most players are pretty loose and passive. One villain is a man about thirty to thirty-five years old. He's only been at the table for about twenty thirty minutes. And he seems to be aware. Uh, where in quotes <laughs> at least uh, he's been raising or folding so not the typical loose fishy chaser he's waiting to go to the 5-5 five, five game so I feel like he's probably a good player a tight aggressive player or a thinking loose aggressive player uh, but it's early, too early to know for sure villain who's a middle aged woman who seems pretty fishy all three of us start to hand with between 300 and $350 uh, it's folded to me on the button and I have the ace of spades King of Clubs. Shove. Sorry. All right, well, when we say middle-aged woman, is it uh, Faso's definition of middle-age, or is it textbook? Yeah, it's true. It could be anywhere from 30 to 70. Yeah, so I don't know what that means, but generally middle-age is in the 40s, I think. I think I'm middle-aged. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll raise. I mean, I'm on the button, and I have a great starting hand. Um, you know, if you raise and take it, and you move on, you got blinds and whatever, but... Uh, I'll raise to what's what'd you say it was a two three game, so two three, know, yeah. Fifteen? That seems like a typical raise I would think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'd be my answer. Whatever the typical raise is, whatever yeah. raise. Yeah. All right, here are raises to twelve dollars. 
the guy in the small blind, three bets to $35. The woman in the big blind calls, and it's back to us. I'll call. <coughs> All right. Doesn't seem any reason to four bet here, although I guess you're in position. I mean, we're going to retain position, too, so I think now is a good time to disguise your hand, right? Yeah. You know, we made the raise, and now people might – by, by not re-raising now, now people – our range is so much wider for them, right? right? Because we could have easily been on a button steal, which happens all the time. And now we're willing to call to kind of see the pop. But our hand is stronger than that. So, you know, uh, I, I think we're poking the bear by raising. We get a lot more deception by just calling. And then if we do raise, and what if we're up against aces or kings? Now we're going to get raised again. Do we really want to go to war with, with ace-king? A drawing hand, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a good move. I think just, especially when you got a caller, too. So you got somebody who may have been saying, you know what, I don't believe you. You folded to the button and you're trying to steal our blinds. And I don't, so I'm going to three bet you. And I'm, I usually play 5-5, five, five, so you know, I'm going to outplay you on this hand or whatever. But then you got the, the woman after him who's also calling. So your ace king is decent, but it shrivels up pretty fast when you got somebody willing to three bet and someone to call a three bet cold basically i know you got a big blind out there but you're essentially calling a raise and a re-raise and you're going to be out of position to at least one person if that person calls behind you so you know i I would call though it's definitely a hand i would call with it's just uh i would proceed with caution yeah i really like calling here so i guess we'll see what happens um he says there's 82 dollars in the pot and i have just about 300 dollars left i can call and see a three-way flop in position I can make a normal raise bumping it to 75 to $100, or I can shove. Although you can probably case, make a case for any of the three, I decide to call. I have position, and the moment, moment I decided I didn't want to play a huge multi-way pot with Ace-King, and I didn't want to commit my whole stack uh, with it this deep pre-flop. Uh, all right, so uh, before we move on, I'm, I'm wondering if we can make a case for any of the three. I don't think I can make a case for shoving. It's not a tournament. You know I mean? This is, this is a cash game, and you, you're pretty deep. You know, I mean, so far you've risked twelve dollars. Now you're willing to risk. What did he have? Three hundred. Uh, I said everybody was three hundred to three fifty. Yeah. I don't know specifically what he had. So. Yeah, I had just about three hundred left. So if he has three hundred left, I mean, shoving. I, I that's just that's way too much of a commitment. I think on this on Ace King, uh, yeah, especially with what's happening before that. Risking three hundred to win eighty two at that point against somebody in a small blind who has three bet you. Yeah. Um, I mean, sure, the small blind might uh, be thinking you're on a button steal and try to be trying to re- re-steal, right? Right. But but then he got called. So I mean, all those things you just said. I mean, I don't have any reason to believe that we're up against two weak hands here. I believe we're up against at least one strong hand and one other hand that could be strong and stronger than us. So uh, that that seems reckless. So I, I would take that out of the making a case for the three um, and. Yeah, we could raise it again. Um, so I suppose you could make a case for that, but it, it's almost the same thing. So if we were, if we think that it's a possibility that we're up against one pretty strong hand here, now we're just taking a risk that that person's going to shove on us, and then what? At that point, we're going to fold. No, we can't. So right, right. it's all the same. So um, you can make a weak case for that one. I I don't think you can make a legitimate case for the shove. And I think by thinking that all through, I think the the call is just so strong right here. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, it's about $100 in the pot after the rake. And the flop is the king of diamonds, queen of hearts, nine of diamonds, 
and small blind leads out for $45, and the big blind calls back to us with a pot at 190 and 275 left in our stack. Ooh, it's such a wet board. Um, oh, it's such a wet board. And the thing is, too, is you start going through the range of hands of two players in the positions that they were in facing our pre-flop raise first, what the hands could be that they have. You know, it could very well be king-queen. I don't know if someone there has jack-10. I, I doubt it. doesn't feel like someone's three-betting with jack-10 out of position and calling a three-bet with jack-10, so it's probably not a straight. But there's diamonds on the board now, so if you're calling... You're giving them the price to hit their flush, which is what you don't want. Unless it's the woman. It could be the woman. That, and that feels a little more. Maybe she does have diamonds. Um, but, I mean, the hands that could have done that, you know, are basically group one hands, like our ace-king, uh, or over over aces. Could be aces. Could be... Well, now, if, if the person had aces, he would definitely lead out. If he had a set of kings, he'd probably lead out. Because he's still protecting his hand, and it would look fishy since he three bet. Any yeah, so right. Good queens or nines here and still lead out. Yeah, so I, any set is still going to lead out. Any two pair is going to lead. Any anything the guy has is going to lead out. I, I erase hands like king nine or jack ten because it doesn't seem right. Um. Uh, could would they have? I guess if you had Jack Jack, you would. Well, I think a Jack Ten is a possibility here. Maybe not with the Ray. I mean, not, not with the better, but it could be the big blind. It just seems odd that she would call two bets cold, out of position with somebody behind her still yet to act who had raised preflop and still could re-raise over her with a Jack Ten. It could have been me because you know I can't lay off the Jack Ten. Yeah, yeah, but you you have to be raising with it, not calling three bets or two bets. So I don't know. To me, that doesn't seem like Jack Ten is in there. Um, I just just from the information we're given. Uh, so I don't know what to do here. I'm trying to think. Um, you could shove. You could think that this person doesn't have it, um, but that would be that'd be scary. Uh, you could call, and then if the turn, if they slow down, then you know you're probably ahead. But you're also, if the person has a flush draw, you're you're basically not making them pay anymore. They're getting the great eye. So I don't know. I, I, I'm really confused here. Um I don't want to shove, but I think we might be ahead too. So I don't know. Um, I guess I'll call. Yeah, I think this is a really difficult decision. So I'll be interested to see if our our listeners find it less difficult than I am. Um, we got top air, top kicker, which is generally what you're looking for with this. Um, but we got re-raise and called pre-flop. So we've just discussed that we got to give somebody credit for one a good hand here, if not both of them. And now leads out for forty five, which right it could have missed. It could have been something that we have a decent chance of catching up with. It could have been jacks or tens, which we have beat now. But also very well, I think, could be the jack ten. It could be a set. I mean, all those hands that we just mentioned that would still lead out here. Um, so I think the bigger damage to me, uh, problem to me is that we got two more cards to go before we find out really what we have here. Um, and I think this hand's going to get expensive for us. So even if we call right now, right, call it 45 here, and then now we're down to 230. Now the pot's going to be 
220. Yeah. No, let's see. Was that 190? So well, it was, three no, 190, 190 in the pot after rig. So now we got 345. So that would be uh, when, two, yeah, right. So it's a little less than 250. Um, and so, you know, a reasonable bet on the next street is going to be 125 ish, maybe more. And now we're got to make a decision at that point. I know it sounds really weird, but there's part of me that's looking for a fold, looking for me to fold here, um, just because I, I don't know whether our hand is strong enough to withstand the rest of the hand. Yeah, I, that's what so you're always. I guess I'm worried about calling now because now I think the calling is throwing forty five dollars out because we're not getting any information out of that forty five dollars, right? Um, fold is could be weak. I know a lot of people probably say it's weak, but it, it probably would save me my stack if I'm wrong here. And if I'm, we're ahead now, I mean, our hand's super vulnerable, right? Yeah. And raising here, I, I could make a case for that if you feel pretty strongly about it and find out that this guy is just splashing around, the other one, and the, uh, the big blind the woman is just uh, coming along. So... I guess if you really like your hand here, I, I think you have to raise. I, I, I don't. I think the calling is the worst way to go here. I could defend a fold and I could defend a raise. Call seems really weak to me here. Uh, the only thing I'm thinking of is that maybe you're floating and you're hoping that the turn is a blank, and then they check if they check again because the, the flush didn't get there or some weird come alive. All right. And then you come alive. It's the only, and it's only cost me forty five to do it. So I mean. You still have top pair, top kicker. You know what I mean? You're not, in your mind, right. unless the guy has aces or one of those monster hands, or the woman, you know I mean? You still could be ahead here. It could be, like you said, it could be jacks or tens. She could be on a flush draw. They could both be on flush draw. They could be the same hand. You know, it could be ace-king. Um, some guys, like I said, if he's in the small blind, he doesn't believe you because you it folds you in the button and you're just raising to take blinds and move on or to take it get more money in the pot to just bet the flop, bet the flop and take down the extra 20 he put in you know he might say yeah screw it i got ace king i don't believe this guy i'm three betting and all of a sudden whoa the middle-aged woman comes alive and calls and now you're like uh so i mean you could be up against the same hand too so there are hands that we could later in position make them fold the same hand or even a better hand if you play it right, if you float and and then come alive, so I I don't know if a call is is as terrible as you're making it sound. Yeah, but, you made a good point there. So, but the, the the shove is terrible to me. I mean, there's no so way I can this? be confident. How about whatever way you go here is depending on how you your style of play, right? Yeah, you're a little bit more cautious, like I am. I don't think it's wrong to say we should fold and just not worry about getting ourselves into trouble. Um, if you're very aggressive, I, I you know go ahead and raise here and see find out where you are right now and if you're a little bit more crafty you go ahead and call and and hope for a blank on the turn and and play the float line yeah so i i guess there's no right answer here i think the right answer is how you play the game is that fair yeah that's fair that's fair and that's what we try to do at the end of the week anyway is to give all all angles not just the right way that we think is right you know so let's move on all right. Uh, all right. Our hero says, the board is so wet, particularly with two villains, and there are so many possible hands ahead of me. Ace, ace, king, king, queen, queen, nine, nine, king, queen, jack, ten, king, king, nine, queen, nine, that I decide just to just call and see what happens. All right. So, yeah, I don't mind the call. 
But I think if you're going to call, you have to. Your intention has to be what you mentioned that that you're floating and hoping for a blank, or hoping to improve again. And really, to improve again has to be a king. I don't know if the ace is really what I want to see. Um, maybe it is. But but calling to see what happens, that's my problem, I think. Now we're just bleeding chips without a plan. Well, I think it doesn't mean I, – I think when he says see what happens, he could also mean if a blank comes, I'm shoving. Right. If exactly. A, you know what I mean? So he, he, he maybe he just means by see what, what comes. And then okay. at that point he makes his – he executes one of the two plans he has on his mind. So I'm going to give him credit for that. All right. Let's see what happens. On the turn, uh, there's $235 in the pot. And the turn is a seven of clubs. So the board now is king of diamonds, queen of hearts, nine of diamonds, seven of clubs. And small blind leads out for 110. And the big blind calls. So it's back to us with a pot of 455 and 230 in our stack. Uh, I mean, this, this to me now just, that's, that's what I want. I was hoping they would check to us if the seven came. And then we can steal it, or or even have the best hand and win with it. But we don't know what's going on. But at this point, somebody bets 110 and somebody calls. Uh, it, this is what's going to have to happen for us to be ahead. The guy betting out 110 is going to have to be bluffing because he doesn't want to give up the hand. Right. The woman calling is going to have to be on a draw. That doesn't get there. That yep. doesn't get there. And then we're going to have to call half our stack, and or shove and hope that all of those things. We're right when we just guess now, and that we're so it's tough to bluff one person. It's even tougher to bluff two people. So this guy's bluffing two people. That's crazy. And if she's calling on a draw, she's already put 110 in on this draw now, on top of everything else. So if, even if you shoved for another 110, she'd probably look at it and go, "Uh, well, I'm in this deep now. You know, what's another hundred or whatever?" So I don't know if you're going to get her to fold anyway. Now she has a bl- she has a she has a, a draw, then you're ahead, but now uh, you're not going to get her to fold either, maybe. So Right. We have no chip equity. Uh, I mean, um, it, there's nothing we can do after this to get people to fold if we miss. Or Really, a, a, a call or a shove here is really just a, a bluff catcher or a bluff hoper is basically yeah. what that is. So, I mean, I guess we have to fold, which is terrible. I really thought if if all those calls came that they would slow down. But by not slowing down, he's either bluffing or he's got a monster and he's protecting it. So, which which one of these people you want to be, you yeah. know? So, I think I'm going to have to let it go and just be happy that we only called and lost 50 bucks on this hand rather than shoving and being way behind and losing. Yeah, absolutely. I can't make. I can't defend anything else. I mean, we're done. There's just too much trouble out there right now. Yeah. And we don't have enough chips to get ourselves out of that trouble on the river. Yeah. Even now, for that matter. Um, all right. Uh, here it says, at this point, against two players, I just decided the chances are too great that one of the two of them has me beaten with one of the aforementioned hands. And the other probably has a ton of outs, diamonds, or straight cards to beat me. I have no outs to a straight, none to a flush, none to beat a set. Also, if I put any money in the pot here, I'm basically going to be forced to put the rest in the river because by then I'll definitely be committed. Uh, deciding that I don't want to have that awful feeling of losing my whole stack with a one-pair hand, I just fold. In the moment, I felt good uh, uh, that I'd been disciplined enough to get away from a top-pair hand that looked to be in trouble. The river is another brick. The four of clubs. Pot is $455. And small blind checks. The woman goes all in for about 120 The guy tanks for a minute or two and calls. She turns up ace of diamonds, ten of diamonds. 
for missed flush and straight draws. Small blind shows Jack Jack. <laughs> what? Wow. So, you know, that one scenario that you mentioned, that's the only way we could have won. That was the exact scenario. <laughs> oh, Jack uh, Jack. Says the guy later said he knew he didn't have me beaten, so he was bluffing me, not value betting. He said if we'd been heads up, he would he wouldn't have tried it. So he recognized my predicament in a multi-way pot pretty well. I think I had to fold there, and he knew it good on him. However, I think I could have done things differently leading up to that. One of the possibilities, pre-flop or on the flop, the one that makes the most sense to me is a pre-flop four-bet shove. Although I normally feel big pre-flop shoves in a deep cash game are wrong. In this case, there was eighty-two dollars in the pot already. Most often, I'll win that right there. If I get called by Queen Queen Ten Ten or something, her third player's overlay makes it okay to take a flip. The chances of Ace Ace King King are even less than usual since I have uh, one of each. A flop shove seems bad uh, because at that point there's so many hands that are beating me. I think I can only get called when I'm when I'm behind. I did a ton of math with ranges and came up 53 combinations sets, two pair of straights that were crushing me, and maybe only 30. Top pairs that can be call can call me from behind or even tied, uh, flush draws, combo draws, and the other ace king. Many of those had a lot of outs against me. I feel like I had no folding equity on the flop against two players. One of them was calling me, and maybe both. I hate the four bet shove free flop. Yeah, I absolutely I mean, hate it. Really, you, we're looking for a way to win this hand, and you know some hands can't be won. You know, I, yeah. I think the the lessons you need to learn in poker is that the real good players find a way to win as many hands as possible but not every hand is winnable and I, I think I appreciate the going back and looking at it, especially since the perfect storm happened of a busted straight and a hand that we already had beat and you want to look for a way to win this but that's a real desperate way of winning this and I, I think kind of reckless and in the long run would cost you a lot more money it would have worked here maybe but it probably would have worked. I, I I don't know whether the Jacks would have called or not. I would assume he probably would have, and then we would have won. But um, but that that would have been really difficult. I mean, I, I think the better thing is to be happy that we got out with as little money as we committed. Again, I mean, I would have folded the flop and saved that forty five bucks. But but I I understand the the investment we were making with that forty five dollars. It just didn't work out. Yeah, I. I... Again, a lot of times when we used to have the binary bunch listening to us, they would always say you can't be results oriented. And in this case, you're looking at the result, saying to yourself, "Oh, if I had done this differently, I would have won." But you could have just as easily shoved that ace king and the guy in the small blind, who very rarely do small blinds re-raise a, a, a button raise unless they have a decent hand. He could have very easily had aces there, and you're drawing essentially to two outs. Or a three outs, and so or an aces. No, if you had aces, you're screwed. You have ace king. So when you hit your king, then you're drawing to two outs. So I mean, basically, you're looking at a situation in hindsight and saying, "This is what I probably could have done differently." And but yeah, because you know the result. But doing that in the moment without knowing what they have for hands, it's a mistake because ace king is not as strong as you think it is. When you have small blind and big blind people re-raising and calling you, that hand shrivels up. And and just as easily it could have been ace-ace you were against. Just as easily as it was jack-jack, which was bizarre. This guy bet. And and the other thing, too, that was bizarre is he said the person told him that if they were heads up, he wouldn't have done that. 
And I'm like, <laughs> oh, and so you're trying to bluff two people with a hand, but not one? <laughs> yeah, but not one. Yeah. That, that, that made kind of, it seems to me that that person, after he won that pot sheepishly, turned to you and then used his own revisionist history to say, yeah, I, you know, to make himself try to look better. But there is no way, there's no reason to not bluff you heads up with that hand and try to win that pot. And to do it with to, to get you out because he knew she was drawing and that she didn't have him beat that just makes zero sense. And that callie man in the end that was crazy. He calls one hundred and ten with an underpair to at least two cards on the board and a wet board. So he All had right. to put her on very specific suited ace that doesn't get there. To, to beat her or the bust to draw i mean you know i think we all along we thought that she was on a draw and it did bust so i get that and her problem was that she didn't realize that she didn't have enough money to yeah. make that bluff work um so i'm not gonna fault him too much on that but yeah i mean ace queen of diamonds beats him yeah and yeah. that's the busted draw but it got a pair of queens out of it and she could have had a pair of kings she could have ace king like our guy and just couldn't get away from the hand it, that's just a crazy call there on the end. I guess he looked at the amount of money in there and said, I ain't got to be right so many times or something. But, you know, given the story he gave our friend, Jeff, I mean, I don't I don't know how much truth is being told on his side anyway. You know, I, I just, that's crazy. That's a crazy call at the end. I mean, it's a very specific hand he's got to put her on. Even if it's a busted draw, it still could have the queen in it. You yep. know? Uh, crazy. Anyway, Jeff, uh, sorry you only lost a little bit. and uh, But you got to be on the show. And you get something cool. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206 338 6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.